this morning, I want to kind of carry on in that vein uh, as we talk about authentic prayer. And, uh, and, I, and I want to share a message with you entitled, He Hears Us. Um, Hebrews 11.6 is the scripture that we started with last week, and I want to go there again this morning. Um, Hebrews 11 verse 6. Because it talks about faith in this chapter, and it talks about us approaching God. And sometimes the Bible is so practical. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and to please Him. Without faith, it's impossible to walk with God and to please Him. Now, the reason why it's impossible for us to walk with God and to please Him without faith is because when we don't have faith in what He has done for us on the cross, we're always trying to do enough to be right with God. And our enough is never enough. Like We can never do enough to be right with God. So without our faith in what Jesus has done for us, it's virtually impossible for us to walk with God and to actually please Him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists, that He is, and that He rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek Him. I also want us to go to 1 John 5, verse 14. 1 John 5, verse 14. It says, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. What is our confidence that we have towards God? That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. He hears us, and we have what He hears. So there's some encouragement in this this morning uh, that I want to share with you. But before we do that, I'm just going to go ahead and pray for us, and, um, and then we can get into it. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much this morning that, God, we can approach you without protocol, that we can uh, walk with you, Lord Jesus, without formulas, that we can just simply look to you as the author and the finisher of our faith. And we know, Lord God, that this morning that you're speaking to us, that you are, are sharing by your Holy Spirit your love and your reality and your grace and your faithfulness and your willingness with us, Lord God. We thank you, God, that when we speak to you, God, when we cry out to you, Lord, that you are close to us, that you hear us when we speak, and that we can run to you no matter what our situation is. We thank you for this, God. We thank you that, that you are so faithful, that you are so true, that you are so good, that you are so present with us in this moment, and uh, that your Holy Spirit right now would do uh, what only you can do. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. So have you ever prejudged someone? Anybody ever guilty of prejudging someone? Like on a first impression, um, you kind of, you meet somebody and then you just like, I don't like this person. And then you might even tell someone else, I don't like this person. Has anybody ever done that? All right. We'll pray for forgiveness for all of us after the service. Um, Sometimes you're the one that gets prejudged. You know, you have a bad day or a bad moment. Uh, you go out and, and maybe you just like, you get caught in a moment and, and you say something and then somebody's like, wow, okay, I don't want to be friends with that person. Um, and so often, probably most often, when we do that, we're completely wrong. Um, I remember actually way back um, meeting somebody for the first time and, or actually didn't actually meet them directly, but I went to a party, and at this party was a specific girl that I liked at the time, and there was also a specific guy who um, just kind of spent a lot of time talking to her. Um, but he also seemed weird. He also was like, like very much spaced out, kind of very mellow, doesn't look like he cared about anything. And I just sat there looking at him going, who is this guy? 
Like, what is the meaning of his life? Um, <laughs> okay, it wasn't that bad. But um, I looked at him and, I was, and it just, you know, I just kind of got the sense that I don't like him. And so a couple of years later, um, we end up in the same class. And so we, you know, and, and he still actually, the first day that I was there, still mocked me a little bit about something. And I was like, yeah, confirmed. That's the stamp of confirmation. Absolutely. But as we spend time together, um, we actually realized, and this is so true when you prejudge someone, that oftentimes those people are very much like us. Like we don't like people because we see things in them that we don't like about ourselves. And, um, uh, you know, a few weeks later, we were best friends and, and we've been friends now for about 15 or 16 years. I'm going to tell him to listen to this message because he remembers all of this. But um, we ended up being the best of friends growing up and uh, have still, uh, he lives in Cape Town now, but whenever we get an opportunity, we hang out, we get together. And, uh, and, and it's so funny how um, I prejudged him because of a certain emotional, because of a certain way that he was presented to me, but only later on found out that that I had completely misread the situation. Now, I hope that I'm not the only one who's ever done this this morning. Like, I'm, you know, repenting of all my sins here, and you guys are just sitting there looking at me smugly. But, uh, but this is what happens. And what I think our problem sometimes is with prayer is that we have gotten often a wrong first impression of God. Like our first impression of who God is and what His heart is towards us and, and, and how He operates is often wrong because it's normally wrapped up in religion. Have you ever gotten, um, anybody who's ever gotten a gift from me, this would be the case, but have you ever gotten a gift that was an amazing gift, but it was very poorly wrapped? Have you ever gotten that? As guys, we're, I don't know why, what is it? Why do we so struggle with wrapping? Um, I went to uh, PostNet in the week um, to send something off to someone, and I, I uh, saw a guy there that I played touch rugby with, uh, another friend, and um, he was sending something to his brother via PostNet, and there was this box on the counter that looked like it had been mangled by a dog. You know, it was just, it was the most poorly wrapped thing. He used so much tape. It was basically held together by cellotape um, completely, and, um, and he looked at it and was like, yeah, it's a guy thing, like totally. He's like, look at the, he's like it's actually an amazing gift um, that I got my brother, but I just, I'm horrible at rapping. And for many of us, God has been wrapped, our perception of God, our impression of God, our view of God has been wrapped very poorly. It's been put together very poorly. It's held together by things that aren't that substantial. And it's normally an impression that we get through a religious mindset or through something that we've heard being said by someone else. It's normally, it's normally when you get secondhand information as opposed to actually experiencing that for yourself. Um, I, I, I saw one guy actually uh, tweeted this thing out where he said, Jesus needs new PR uh, because he's, uh, the church has sometimes done a really bad job of showing people what God's heart really is. And this will affect the way that you pray. What I'm trying to say to you this morning is that if you have the wrong view of God, it will affect the way that you approach Him. It'll affect the way that you relate to Him. It'll affect the way that you worship Him. And that's why Jesus actually, when He meets the woman at the well, a woman that He shouldn't have been speaking to, a woman that was, uh, had so many broken relationships, so much brokenness in her life, the Bible tells us that Jesus walks through uh, Samaria, which is not a place that Jews went to. There was a lot of conflict and contention between those two groups of people. Jesus sits down at the well in the middle of the day, and this woman comes out, 
and she's fetching water in the middle of the day. The only reason why a woman would fetch water in the middle of the day and not in the beginning of the day is if she was an outcast. And there was a reason why she was an outcast. She comes and sits, uh, Jesus sits at the well and she comes to draw water and Jesus starts to speak to her, which culturally was completely out of the norm. It was completely uh, bizarre that Jesus would do that, specifically with a Samaritan woman. And at one point, Jesus, just seeing the brokenness in her heart, he asks her to go and, and fetch her husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know you don't have a husband because you've had five husbands and the one that you're with now that you're living with is not your husband. Six relationships. Can you imagine the brokenness that this woman had been through, especially in that ancient culture, how much rejection she experienced at the hands of society and all of the rest. And she comes to Jesus and Jesus says, if you just ask me, there's a thirst in you. And if you just ask me, I will give you something to drink, eternal living water, a relationship with me that will satisfy you forever. You've tried to be satisfied through things in this world. You've tried to be satisfied through uh, relationships and through social status and through all the rest, but I'm going to give you true and lasting satisfaction through the person that I am, through a relationship with God. The only way that our hearts can be filled up. So you would expect God and Jesus being the exact representation of God to walk around only speaking to religious people. You'd expect Jesus to walk around only dealing with the very best scholars of the Bible and the very best religious uh, and most devout and most pious people, but instead he hangs around with with sinners, with tax collectors, with prostitutes, and with, with women who have been through many broken relationships. And then Jesus says this to her. He says, she, she asks the question about worship. Where should we worship? Should we worship uh, on this mountain or should we worship, um, uh, you know, in the temple like the Jews say? Or like, how should we worship? And that's the question that we ask when we don't know God. Like, okay, how do I do this? How do I pray? Do I pray uh, by going uh, to a specific place? Do I pray? Do I pray on Sundays in church? Can I, do I need to set up like a special room to pray in? Um, and, and, and when I worship, is there, are there certain songs that are better than other songs to worship to? Um, you know, how, how, do, how do we actually do this? And so we get caught up once again in all of these things. But Jesus says this to her. He says, the hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will not worship on this mountain or, or in the temple, but will worship God in spirit, in other words, from the core of who you are, wherever you are, and in truth. And we often focus on the spirit part, but the truth part is so important because what it says is, is that when we worship God, when we connect with God, when we pray to God, we base our prayers in who He truly is. If you want to pray powerful prayers, come to know who Jesus is. Come to know the character of God. Come to know the heart of God. Because when we don't know, we still think that we have to do certain things to, to earn His answer or to, or to get Him to listen to us. But when you know who God is, you're able to connect with Him in truth the truth of who He is, the truth of what He's done for us through the cross. And, and this is the beginning of prayer powerful prayer. When you know who God is and you can boldly ask Him of whatever it is that you need or, or connect with Him, you can get over the, the prejudgment that you've made of God. So we would struggle to pray. 
if we have the wrong view of God. And that's why whenever I begin to pray, I feel like I need to remind myself. You know, I, I always say to people, you've got to preach the gospel to yourself every day. You need to hear it every day because we would so quickly go back to wanting to earn God's love or earn God's grace or, or, or earn things in our lives or, or justify ourselves or make our own way that when I begin to pray, the first thing I start by doing is reminding myself of who this God is that I'm praying to. Like if I have time to sit down, I'll just be like, God, you're so gracious. You're so faithful. You're so true. You're so present. You're ready to move on my behalf at any moment. And I remind myself, and you find this in Scripture, we, we remind ourselves. That's why when Jesus started the Lord's Prayer, He said, hallowed be your name. It's like we just want to remember who this God is and, 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 and pray to Him in truth. Otherwise, what ends up happening is that we feel like we need to wrestle things out of God's hands in prayer. Like we need to tip the scales of His favor um, towards us by doing enough to earn those answers. And, and whenever I think of this, I think about a time when I was playing under-14 rugby. Those were such good days, under-14 rugby. It was brilliant. And uh, we were playing this game against uh, Synstidians that, that's, that Saturday. And we were playing against the, the under-14 A side. And, um, and I don't know, I know Dean is here, and I know he went to Saints. He might know who this was, but you guys had a bit of a giant um, in the under-14 age group. Was it you? First impressions, man. I've got to get over them. Um, but, but there was just this giant kid that they had um, at Synstidians. And he was so huge. He looked like he ate all of his siblings in the womb, uh, you know, that his parents, you know, just a massive kid. Like, how are you 14 years old? You know, can we see a birth certificate? And, um, and he, this big forward, fortunately, he wasn't really fast, but at one point he got hold of the ball. Um, and so we, we went into this mall and he kind of, had one of our players, he was holding one of our players and the ball at the same time. And so we're trying to rip the ball out of his hands. And I remember actually getting my hands onto the ball and trying to just, with every angle, with every bit of force within me, trying to rip it out of his arms. And I just couldn't move it. I could, he was so strong that I'm going nuts. At one point, I even cried out in desperation. <laughs> Have you ever cried out in desperation? Like in the middle of this mall, you just hear like this, this destitute 14-year-old going, ah, just trying to get the ball out of his arms, and I can't get him to let go. And then the worst thing happened, he chuckled. He, he actually chuckled. He's in a mall, and he's chuckling because I can't move the ball. And... For us, sometimes it feels like that with God. Like, we, there's certain things in this world and in this life that we, that we know that we need and that we're oftentimes desperate for, desperate for an answer, desperate for God to, to, um, to come through for us, desperate for something that we're asking of God. Come on, how many of us have trusted God for something in our lives? And many times those are desperate situations. Those aren't like, hey, I, I want something nice. This is the, 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 we feel like our lives depend on it. And then it feels like we get into this mall with God, like we're wrestling and we're trying to rip the ball out of his arms. And because we don't have the strength to, I've even had somebody once tell me, God's laughing at me. They feel like God's laughing at them, like that, that beast of a 14-year-old who chuckled that Saturday morning. That's because if we feel that way, it's because we have the wrong view of God. We have an incorrect understanding of his and I want this word to be a key word this morning of his willingness, his willingness 
to meet us, His willingness, His love to bless us, His love to, to, to provide for us. God, in fact, wants us to be dependent upon Him in that way. He wants us to trust in His goodness, trust in His grace. Religion especially paints God in this way as this, this cosmic referee who's difficult to please and never satisfied. And so we struggle to, so one of two things happen. Either we struggle to pray because we feel like it's too difficult to wrestle things out of God's hands, or we pray too much. <laughs> and there's a way that we can pray too much, which I'll mention in a moment. I'll, I'll qualify that. Please don't go tell people that the pastor at Anchor's church says we all pray too much, okay? But there's a way that we could pray too much. There's a way that we can pray without faith. And that's why Hebrews eleven six, 6, which I read to you in the beginning, again, is such an important scripture. Because what it says is that it's impossible for us to actually walk with God if we don't know the righteousness that we have in Christ. If we don't have faith, if we don't really believe that we are right with God right now. And I've said this to somebody, um, to, to many people before. I want you just to think about yourself. Think about yourself right now as you are. And think about you standing before God. I want you to know that as you're seated before God and as we stand before God collectively this morning, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we are all 100% righteous. We are all 100% holy before God. Perfect in His sight. Because our righteousness is ascribed to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's not something that we earn or work for. I know that that sounds basic, but if it sinks in, that there's nothing that stands between you and God. And if you feel like you are far away from God, the Bible says that in Jesus, God brought those, in Ephesians it says this, who once stood afar off, He has brought us near. That's what He did. He brought us close. So we're close to God, and there's nothing that stands between us except the lies of the enemy that will tell us, you know, you're not good enough yet to ask that of God. Like, if you were a better Christian, God could maybe have answered that prayer, but no, you had a really bad week. Uh, God saw how you swore at that taxi on Monday morning. Uh, God saw how you didn't help to save that person that's car was floating down the N3. You know, God is aware of your, so you better not ask. You better not ask because you're not worthy. And so oftentimes we go, look, if I was a better Christian, I would ask, but I'm not. And that's just purely a lack of faith in what Jesus has done. So the scripture says that if you want to walk with God, you've got to know who you are in his sight, how he sees you. And then secondly, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. In other words, that He is good. You, if you're going to pray, you have to. If you're going to approach God and come near to Him, you must know that He is good, that He is a provider, that He is someone who loves to give. He is a generous God. That's why we talk about generosity. That's why we love to give because we're becoming more and more like our Father. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. We're, 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 we're taking on more and more of His character as God changes us from being greedy to being generous. It's because we serve a God who's generous. God sees people in need and His heart is to meet those needs, to provide and, and, and to share. So we need to believe 
that God is good. And I think that if we start to believe that, we'll pray more and less at the same time. We'll pray more in the sense that at the drop of a hat, we will feel completely free to ask God of whatever it is that we need or want. We can ask Him. We can ask Him boldly. We can ask Him imperfectly. We can just, we can just do it. We can just say, like we spoke about last week, just, hey God, this is what I really need. And have confidence that He hears us. But we'll also pray less in the sense that we, don't, we wouldn't feel like we need to just like, oh, you know, the more I actually physically do, the better chance there is that God would answer me. Now, I can tell you that this has happened to me so many times. Like, if it's something unimportant, I would just kind of mutter out a few words of prayer. But when I feel like something is really important, especially when people have in the past, and I've fortunately grown and matured in this area, but when people have come to me with, with prayer, and it, for, for, uh, prayer and it's a dire situation, let's say somebody is, is, is um, really sick or really facing some, then I feel like, oh my God, I've got to step up my prayer game right now. Like, I, I've got to lift the, the bar here in terms of my prayer. I can't just be like, hey Jesus, can you help? I've got to, Father in heaven, you know, like we, we come to you today in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, you just like, because you just feel like the more, the, the, the better you do it, the, the more chance there is of God actually listening. Is it, has that ever happened to anybody? Like, you just kind of pray, and then when there's something, then you're like, you get super religious. It's like, no, wait a minute, next level, on my knees. Now I'm on my knees in prayer. You know, the hand clasped, holy, like, you know, whoever's holy. Um, just like, and now you've got to do the full thing. Because you really want an answer from God. And this is how, if you have faith, authentic faith in what Jesus has done for you, then you would pray less in this sense. Matthew 6 verse 7, these are the words of Jesus. He says, and when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition. <laughs> Jesus, he must be like, I've been in heaven for so long, guys. It's so frustrating. You just keep saying the same things like I'm not hearing you. <laughs> Meaningless repetition, or, or, or one scripture, one translation says vain repetition. Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, the unbelievers do. For they think, this is Jesus speaking, that they will be heard because of their many words. Now, if you are asking God for something, the Bible is very clear that we can ask and keep on asking. There's nothing wrong with keeping on asking. But what Jesus is challenging us to do in this verse and what he's saying is he's saying that we mustn't think that on the basis of our effort that God will hear. Because it's purely a lack of faith. In other words, if you walk in and sincerely say one sentence of prayer to God, hey God, this is my situation, and I really, I'm, I'm asking you to help me in this way. If you have faith, one sentence is the same as you pacing up and down all night saying the same thing over and over again. The real question is, when you pray, do you really believe that God hears you? Do you really believe? 
With my kids, I repeat stuff a lot, but only when I don't think they've heard me. Like then I'll repeat stuff again and again and again. And they'll do the same to me. <laughs> dad, dad, you know, I had it this morning. Dad, they're like, yes, because they think I haven't heard. And so when we pray and we think God isn't hearing, we'll just, in a very empty way, it's, it's empty of faith, we'll get stuck in repetition. Martin Luther, who's just such an hero, a hero of the faith and a hero of, of grace, if you know the story of Martin Luther, you'll know how he struggled to feel like he could connect with God and to feel like he could get an answer from God. And in fact, he felt like God was angry with him most of the time. He just felt like God was angry. So uh, certain things happened in his life. He was on his way somewhere once and lightning nearly struck him. Uh, he must have been passing by Joburg. Um, and so he thought, you know, he thought God's mad at me. Lightning nearly struck me. God must be mad with me. And, and uh, at, at some of the, uh, his, his first kind of mass that he was a part of performing um, as an altar boy in church, he spilt some of the wine, which uh, is not a great thing to do. Um, and so he was like really worried about that. And, he was like, and, he, and so he thought that it was all because God was mad. And he kind of had this perpetual sense that God was mad and disappointed at him. He had the wrong impression of God. And so what he did was his response was to get into meaningless repetition, just endless prayer, just constant begging, just constant trying to do enough. And history tells us that he actually developed intestinal problems from fasting so much. Like he fasted so much that his system started to shut down because he felt like he had to earn an answer from God. And that's when, through all of that brokenness and through all of those prayers and through all of that self-effort, Martin Luther discovered the grace of God. And he realized, I had painted God with the wrong brush. I had, you know, not opened up the package and I was looking at this ugly wrapping on the outside. I thought that God was just angry and mad and, and upset with me and, and unwilling to, to answer my prayers. But what I actually realize about Him, now that I see Him in the light of the gospel, I realize that God is a gracious God, that He is a loving God, that He is a God who loves to answer our prayers, that He is a God who walks with us every day, that He is a God who, 2 Timothy 2.13 tells us, is faithful even when we are faithless because He cannot deny Himself. It's just who He is. And so in light of that, it's what brought about the 16th century Reformation. It's what brought about this massive revolution in the church because they said, we've missed it. We've missed it. We've been looking at God the wrong way. This is actually who the scriptures tell us he is. And I can so identify with that because my prayer life was like that for so long. I would sometimes pray, and I'm just being completely open with you guys this morning, I would sometimes pray, and while praying, decide for myself, kind of resolve myself to knowing that I wasn't going to get an answer to this prayer because I hadn't been good enough. Have you ever done that? Like, I need something, and you start praying, and it's like, mm, okay, don't actually, actually, don't worry about it, I'm not good enough, don't worry, it's fine, it's fine, just leave it, just leave it, it's fine, walk away. I never genuinely felt worthy of receiving from God. Like, can God really do stuff? Does He really want to do stuff for me? 
You see, when we go to God, the focus of going to God is God, right? You've got to believe that He is. But what we do when we go to God is the enemy starts to disrupt our thinking and lie to us. And instead of going to God with He is, we start thinking, what are we? What am I? When you're praying to God, your thought shouldn't be, what are you? Your thought should be, what, what is He? Your focus is on Him, not on yourself. But it's like every time we try and pray, the devil throws up this big mirror. He goes, oh really? You think you can go to God? Well, let's look at what kind of a week you had. Let's look at what, what you did the other day. Let's, let's look at what you're struggling with right now. And it's there to accuse and to discourage. So the focus of our prayer, the basis of our prayer when we ask of God is God, not us. That's faith. As a kid, I tried this out with my parents, um, where when I wanted an answer from my mom for something, I felt like the better I looked, the more chance there was of me getting the right outcome to the, to the situation. And so if I had something really important to ask my mom, I would actually go and take a bath, like by myself. Like, can you imagine how weird that is? Like a kid, hey, what are you doing? No, I just decided it's time to bath, um, you know. And I would take a bath and I would get dressed and then I would like comb my hair in this like perfect side parting. I think it, it kind of stuck all these years later, but I'm still hoping someone would like me. But uh, so I, I would like comb this out and I'd go to my mom and I'd go, mom, just like, she would look at me like, wow, you're clean. Yes, mom, I have something to ask you. Um, and I remember actually telling her one time, a lot of you are so worried about me right now. Um, but I remember my mom saying, what are you doing? Like, I wouldn't give you something or say yes to something or no to something based on what you look like. I would do it based on my love for you. And it's the same with my kids. Like, my kids come up to me asking for stuff all the time. I don't assess their behavior or assess their, you know, their look before I answer them. My heart as a father, and I'm, an, according to Scripture, an evil father. I'm selfish and greedy, and I can get annoyed real easily. And I still delight in helping my sons or giving them what they need. Can you imagine how much more it would be with God? The scriptures tell us that. It says, how many of you being fathers, if your son came to you and asked you for some bread, would give him a rock? <laughs> just the picture of that. It's just like, sure, son. Dad, I'm hungry. You know. How many of you, if asked for a fish, would give him a serpent, would give him a snake? And it says, then if you as earthly sinful fathers know how to give your children good things, how much more will your Father in heaven not give you everything that you need? Hey, we've had, we have the wrong view of God. We have a warped image of His love and His goodness. He is a good Father. This is how we, we worship God in spirit and in truth. And I love the place in the Bible um, where Lazarus, who is a friend of Jesus, he's a very close friend of Lazarus and Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus, as you know in the story, he gets sick. And um, he's about to die from the sickness. And so Mary and Martha, desperate to save their brother's life, sends word to Jesus, which is almost like a prayer. It says, Jesus, we need you. 
But this is how they start the prayer. It tells us this in the book of John, uh, chapter 11. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, like this prayer to Jesus. He's far off saying, Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. Not Jesus, the one who loves you is sick. Not Jesus, the one who is such a great friend to you and you know how he's always doing stuff for you and you know how he brought you some orange juice the other day when you were thirsty and you know how he's told people about how cool you are and you know he's just like, he's your best friend and he's such a committed guy. Jesus, I really think it's time that you do something for him now. So please, will you come and heal our brother? No, Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. You see, the basis of their asking, the basis of their approach to God isn't how much Lazarus loves Jesus, but how much Jesus loves Lazarus. And so when I approach God in my personal life, I no longer do it on the basis of my own goodness or my own faith or my own faithfulness or my own love for God. The Bible says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us first. I go, Jesus, I know you love me. (laughs) How about for the next little while you start your prayers like that? Like drop whatever kind of normal format that you use and just go, hey, Jesus, I'm the one that you love. And I want to ask you something. I'm the one that you love. That's the basis of our prayers. This is the willingness of God. Scripture also tells us about a man with leprosy who came to Jesus And said to him, Lord, if you are willing, would you heal me? And Jesus' response to him was quite simply, I am willing, be healed. Now Jesus, when he came to this earth, he came to represent the heart of God. And what his life shows us is that God loves us, that God cares for us, that God looks and sees your need, your situation. We had no greater need than our need for salvation from the the slavery of sin and the judgment that was due to be ours because of our sinfulness. And God saw that need and says, I love these people. So even though all of them are still rebels, I'm gonna send my son to die for them. That's what turns our hearts around. Not getting stuck into a religious system or process, but understanding that God loves us so much that even when we hated Him, He still chose to die for us. It's the love of God that leads people to repent and to change their lives and to live differently. And so God is willing, which is such a powerful thing for us to know, that when we pray, He hears us. He hears us, and we have what we have asked for. That same Martin Luther who, uh, you know, fasted until his intestines started to shut down and, and, and felt like he could never please God until he discovered God's grace. He said this. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying a hold of his willingness. God's not reluctant to give, but he wants you, because he cares for you, to recognize your need for him. And so I believe that God would at times withhold certain things from our lives 
to allow us to try and do it in our own strength until we come to that point where we realize, I can't do this for myself. And then we turn around and we say, Jesus, I need you. And he says, yes, I know. That's what I've been trying to tell you. So what do you need? Let me meet your need. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, when we begin to trust and rest in Jesus, that's faith. And then we can ask boldly and see God meet our needs. I can't tell you how many times I've needed God in my life in that way. How many times I have had to pray and say, okay, Jesus, I don't know. I have no more answers. I have nothing, nothing left that I can do to make the situation better. I need you. And that's when, when, when God is able to fully meet every one of our needs, when we trust Him for it. That's why prayer is ultimately a declaration of our dependence upon God. And when we don't pray, it's because deep down we are still trying to do it in our own strength. Prayer is declaration, our declaration of dependence upon God. Romans 8.32, my last scripture for this morning. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son. Let's just pause there for a moment. We were all in the greatest need that humanity has ever known, which is separation from God, which is living lives that are meaningless, living lives that are void of purpose, void of love, void of fulfillment, facing an, uh, an impending judgment on the basis of all the things that we know we've done wrong. You, you know, you know how, how true that is, that people just know that they're guilty? We all just know that. We all know we've done things wrong. It's like when you're driving in your car and a policeman like, or a cop steps out into the road. Have you ever had that happen to you? Sometimes it's just like a gardener with a vest, but you, you're nervous all the same. Whenever I see like a cop step out into the road, my first thought isn't, um, my first thought isn't have I done something wrong? My first thought is normally what are, which of the things that I've done wrong could I be in trouble for right now? You know, like, which one does he actually know about? And, and, and even if all your tickets are paid and your car's license is up to date and, and everything else is, is, is up to date and there's no technical reason for you to be afraid, it's almost like we have so much pent-up guilt about stuff that when a cop steps out into the road, we're like, take me away, take me. I'm, whatever it is, I'm guilty. Because we have that sense of guilt. And it's only in Christ that we find our shame dealt with on the cross. Jesus took all of our shame upon himself. And so the Bible actually says that we are now, in Romans 8, 1, it says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Not a single bit of condemnation on your life. Not a single bit of shame on your life because Jesus dealt with it. So if he didn't spare in that moment of need and, and, and all the guilt and the shame and the judgment that we were facing, if God didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him now graciously give us all things? Man, I'm really hoping that your perception of God is shifting, even if it's just a little bit this morning. If God didn't withhold his own son, in other words, he would give anything for you. How would he now, as you being a child of God, righteous before God, washed in the blood of Jesus, completely sin-free before God, 
Why would we think that we would have to wrestle things out of God's hands? When the scripture tells us, with Jesus, now being children of God, will he not also give us graciously, graciously, abundantly, more than what you need, all things? God never holds back in blessing his children. He never holds back in meeting our needs. He never holds back in in restoring your soul and in restoring your life and in answering your prayers. You might ask me the question today, but what about the times when God doesn't answer my prayer? It's happened to me many times. I've asked God for something specific and it hasn't happened. But if you believe in who God really is, if you've seen him for who he is, if you know his goodness, then you would know and trust that even when he doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want him to, that it's because he knows better. Like my kids ask me for sweets every day, but I love them, and so I don't give them sweets every day. Right? And so if God doesn't answer our prayer, He's either, when you pray, God either says, yes, this is in accordance with my will, like that scripture we looked at in 1 John, you have what you've asked for, it's in accordance with my will, or he says, I have something better for you. I have something better. And sometimes that better means the same thing that you asked for, but just later. When my wife and I couldn't have kids, we begged God. We begged God, and I got stuck into a lot of the stuff I've spoken about this morning, maybe specific ways of prayer, maybe specific fasting. Like, you don't believe in fasting until you really need something, then you believe in fasting. What do you fast? I don't know. I'm just not going to (laughs) eat. And we asked God and asked God and asked God, and we came to a point where we said, okay, God, we trust that you know better. And you know, God was doing something so expensive in our hearts during that time. He was revealing himself to us. He was opening up so much hurt that we didn't even know that we had. And he was bringing healing to our lives through a difficult situation. And now we have the the three boys that we always wanted. We have it. God's answer at that time was not yet. But ultimately, he will fulfill every single plan and purpose that he has for our lives so we can trust him. That takes the panic out of prayer. It takes the panic out of prayer. And it gives us faith to trust in God through our prayers. You don't have to go into vain repetitions and meaningless statements and, and religious processes. You can just go, God, I know that you love me and I'm asking you for this. And my heart trusts in you. And the Bible says that when we go to him, when we pray, when we ask, He hears us. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God hears you when you pray? Hoping that what will come out of this will be so much more of just a free, open relationship with God where we are just so much more able to connect and ask and receive from Him because He is willing, He hears us, and He delights in us with all of His heart. That's the Father that we have had. And part of our vision for Anchor Church is that we would take the way that God has been wrapped up in religion and presented to this world, and we can start to tear some of that wrapping off. 
And we might not do it perfectly. We might still have bits of cello tape and some other parts on there, but we can just be like, we actually want to show you that this is who Jesus is, not the way that you thought he was. And when you realize who he is, you'll find the courage to lay a hold of his willingness through prayer. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning.